0: Good morning. Great to see you. Um, Beautiful sunny day. I'm hoping to enjoy some more sun later this week because as long as my PCR test isn't positive on Tuesday, I'm heading down to Cape Town on Thursday, suffering for the gospel. (laughs) Escaping the UK in February and going to the Southern Hemisphere is always a good strategy, although at the moment uh, it's lovely here, but yeah, I'm due to go down to Cape Town on Thursday. Uh, Friends of ours, Common Ground Church in Cape Town, it's their 25th. Um, anniversary, they started 25 years ago, they've seen real blessing, grew to about 4,000 people in 11 congregations, and we're going to go and celebrate uh, that, and they have just made the decision as part of this kind of 25th year that those 11 congregations are now going to become autonomous churches, although still working very closely together. So I'm going to speak in one of those congregations next Sunday, and then the following week have a whole number of different settings of uh, elders and wives gatherings and leadership gatherings and stuff at which... uh, I will be part in in, and speaking a number of sessions as well. So I will be there doing quite a lot of work, but also enjoying the South African sunshine. So I know you won't feel too sorry for me having to go and speak at a load of sessions out there. Um, We are today in the book of Ruth. We're continuing our series. We're doing a series through the whole of the Old Testament. It's called A House of My Name God loving to dwell. God's plan is to dwell with his people, to build a house in which he and his people dwell. And last Sunday we were in the book of Judges, which is a very difficult book. Today we're in the book of Ruth, which is a beautiful book. We have this lovely interlude between the chaos that we get to at the end of the book of Judges and then Ruth, which is a beautiful story. Um, about well, two women really, Naomi and and Ruth, and so there are different ways in which this can be taught through. Uh, what I'm doing today is that each of our three services, I'm speaking a different message to get through the whole book. Uh, I wanted to. You know, it's a story that hangs together, but it's a bit too long to do in one message. So. I've split it into three, and so if you wanted to listen to the other parts, you could get online and listen to them. But in the first service, we looked at Ruth chapter 1, in which we saw about God's mercy to widows, that Naomi is a widow, her life is a mess, her husband dies, her sons die, she's in a foreign country, and then she comes back home to Bethlehem with her daughter-in-law, Ruth, who is a foreigner, a Moabite, not part of the people of God, But Ruth commits herself to her mother-in-law, Naomi, commits herself to the God of Israel, and they arrive back home in Bethlehem at barley harvest. And there's some clues there as to what's going on, because when we see they come to Bethlehem, we immediately think Christmas which, of course, Ruth and Naomi don't know about, but we do. And also the barley harvest was the time of Passover, the moment when God had rescued his people from slavery in Egypt, and also the time, of course, when Jesus died on the cross. And so we can see there's a story which is being formed about how God is going to act with mercy in the lives of these women. And we're going to pick it up at chapter 2. I'm afraid this is going to be the longest of the three messages. So you picked the wrong service this morning. Uh, Because we're going to get through two whole chapters, Trust God, uh, this morning in the book of Ruth. And uh, Grace is going to come and read Ruth chapter 2 for us.
1: Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favour. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, What does that young woman, sorry, who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, She is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, Why have I found such favour in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favour in your eyes, my Lord, she said, You have put me at ease by speaking so kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come over here, have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men, Let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered and it amounted to about an ephah. She carried it back to town and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. Then Ruth the Moabite said, he even said to me, stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him, because in someone else's field you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvest were finished, and she lived with her mother-in-law.
0: Thank you, Grace. Okay, this is a great story. Ruth sets off, she goes gleaning, that's how she's going to survive, picking up fallen grain in the field. And as it turned out, as it says, she finds herself gleaning in Boaz's field. But of course, none of this happens simply by chance. Often life can feel like that, that life's just happening by chance, by random. That's not what is happening, that's not what we see here there's more going on, the Lord as at work. And when Ruth comes back and reports to Naomi what's happened, Naomi says that the Lord, bless the Lord, bless Boaz, the Lord has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and dead. What we see here, what Naomi's beginning to see, is that all her life, although her life seems to be in complete ruin, she's starting to get a glimpse of God's mercy. There is mercy. And that the Lord has not stopped showing his kindness to both the living and the dead. Elimelech is dead. But the Lord is still showing kindness to his family. Now we need to think ourselves into this world of Ruth and Naomi. It's a very different world from ours. have got two widows. Naomi's husband, Elimex, died. Ruth's husband has died as well. And Ruth is a foreigner. This means that these two women are living in, in an extremely vulnerable situation. They're very vulnerable there's, there's there's no welfare state to look after them there's no police force To guard them. They're living, this is the age of the judges. This is a time when often in the land there was kind of anarchy. Everyone did as they saw fit because there was no king in Israel. That's where the story of judges leaves off. And so these are two women who are vulnerable. And in that society, of course, protection for women would have been provided by the men of the family. Economic and physical protection provided by the men. But Naomi and Ruth have no men in their lives. All the men in their lives have died And this means that these two women are very vulnerable. They're vulnerable economically, they're vulnerable socially, they're vulnerable sexually. They could easily be prey to predatory men. But, as it turns out, Ruth has put herself in the path of a man who can help them, Man Boaz. Now, as we work through this story, it's important that we don't miss what the story is teaching us by judging the culture. Our culture is very different from the culture that is being described here. And there's all kinds of things in this story which might make us kind of go, oh, that's not how we would think about things. And we can judge the culture and miss the power of the story. Let's not do that. Let's think ourselves back into that world. Imagine ourselves in Ruth and Naomi's place. Think ourselves into that culture and see what the story has to teach us about the mercy of God. Firstly, we see some things here about this man, Boaz. He was clearly a man who loved the Lord. He turns up in his fields and his greeting to his workers is the Lord be with you. And we get this impression of a man for whom his worship of God is not compartmentalized. You know how it's so easy to compartmentalize life, isn't it? We have have work compartments and we have leisure compartments, we have family compartment, and we can have the God compartment, and it seems that Boaz didn't live that way the whole of his life was centered around worship of the Lord. And so his greeting to his workers is, the Lord be with you. The Lord is at the center of his work. Now, when Naomi and her husband Elimelech had left Bethlehem and gone to Moab in the first place, there's there's no indication there that they seek the Lord's guidance in making that decision. It's simply a pragmatic decision. There's a lack of food in Bethlehem and they move to a foreign country, move to Moab. There's no indication they've, They've sought God in that decision, and the result of that decision is tragedy. Elimelech dies, Naomi's two sons die, it's all disaster. Things with Boaz seem to be very different. It seems that he's someone who wants all of his life, all of his business, submitted actually to the plan of God. We also see that he was from... The right family. He comes from the same clan as Elimelech, Naomi's dead husband. And that means that he has family responsibilities towards Naomi and Ruth. And Naomi says that he's our guardian redeemer, or our kinsman redeemer. There's a an understanding in the culture that if a family member got into trouble, the next closest family member, the guardian, the kinsman redeemer, had a responsibility to help that member of the family. Boaz is somebody who actually has family responsibilities towards Naomi and Ruth. He's also a man of the right status. It says that he was a man of standing. There's clearly some substance to Boaz. He's got some properties, and he's employing people, he's got a business, he's, he's making life work. And so we, we get this picture of Boaz as a positive example of manhood, that here's a man who's got life well sorted. He loves the Lord, he looks after his workers, and he's got some resources. And so this is a kind of man who seems to be a kind of a competent, admirable person. He's a good model of manhood. There's also some things we learn about Ruth, in this story, we see that she's a woman who takes initiative. She goes to glean in the fields, and it's her initiative rather than Naomi's. So far, kind of Naomi has been leading the story. Naomi is the mother-in-law. Naomi makes the decisions. But here we see Ruth taking the initiative. I'm going to go gleaning. I'm going to help us. I'm going to do something to try and fix the poverty in which we're living. We also see that she showed... Real humility. When Boaz speaks kindly to her and helps her, she says, Why have I, a foreigner, found favor? She didn't come with any expectation. She didn't think that she deserved anything. She came with real humility. And she shows real industry. It says that she worked until evening. She put in a long shift. And when Boaz gave her extra for her lunch, she saved some and took it back for Naomi. So Naomi would have enough to eat As well, And so we get this picture of Ruth being a positive example of womanhood. She's a woman who has faith in God that sees past the really bitter setbacks that she and Naomi have been through. She has incredible courage to venture into the unknown. She has deliberately bound herself to Naomi and to the God of Israel and moved out of Moab, moved from what is familiar, moved from her family, moved from her culture in order to embrace this new life. And she has a radical commitment to the relationships that God has given her. She's committed to her mother-in-law. We see her commitments in these relationships. And so as we read Ruth chapter 2, we, of course, can already see where this is headed, that Ruth and Boaz are made for each other. It's just obvious there in the story. And it's beautiful when that happens, if a man and a woman meet, meet, and it's obvious that You are made for each other, that's a beautiful thing. And so Ruth and Boaz are actually helpful models for thinking about approaching marriage. If you're a young man here this morning and you are hoping at some point to find a wife, well, look for a woman like Ruth. She is the kind of woman that you want to get married to. And if you're a woman looking for a husband, well, look for a man like Boaz. He's the kind of bloke that you want to get married to. Don't go off with some loser go with a Boaz. (laughs) But more than that, all of us, whether we're married, single, whatever our situation in life might be, all of us should aim to be like Ruth and Boaz, because they do give us a great model of what it means to be godly men and women. We see that for both of them, commitment to the Lord is what comes first. Now, Boaz had been born into the tribe of Judah. He was an Israelite. He belonged, and, but he was living it out. That was his commitment. Center his life and his business. The Lord be with you. Ruth had been born in a foreign culture with no knowledge of the God of Israel, but she had chosen to bind herself to Naomi and to Israel's God. She'd been converted. And so we see both Ruth and Boaz have this commitment to the Lord, which comes first in their life. And That commitment they have, God at the center of stuff, then itself is something which produces life. That's that's what putting God first in our lives does. It, It births life in us. And so Ruth, in her encounter with Boaz, asks him a question. She says there in verse 10, why have I found such favor? Why is it, Boaz, that you're being so generous towards me? And Burroughs' reply is fascinating. He says, it's because of what you have done, because you have taken refuge under the wings of God. Burroughs says to her, the reason why you're finding favor actually isn't because of me. It's not because I'm somebody who's got the means and the potential to help you. The, the real reason, the initiating reason why you are finding favor is because you have entrusted yourself to God." You've come under his wings, under his covering, under his protection. God is rewarding you as a result. Now, humanly speaking, Boaz can be Ruth's rescue, but ultimately her rescuer is God. And it's so important that we see this. This isn't just a story about kind of a fairy tale story of boy meets girl, live happily ever after, Boaz fixes the problems. No, it's... So much more than that is about how Ruth and Boaz and Naomi, in the end, trust themselves to God. And that's where their rescue comes from. And God is looking for people who take refuge in him. Boaz says, you've taken refuge under the wings of God. And that's deeply biblical language. In Psalm 57, David writes this, "'Have mercy on me, my God. Have mercy on me, for in you I take refuge.'" I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. This is a psalm that David wrote in a time of real difficulty and the imagery he employs is of a a, a hen gathering her chicks under her wing to protect them. And that's an amazing way to think about God. To think of God, this imagery of a hen gathering her chicks under her wings. Now clearly, The Lord doesn't have wings in that physical sense. But we can come under his protection in this kind of intimate way. This intimate sense of gathering under the protection, under the covering, under the wings of God. Now that psalm was written by David. And of course, kind of skipping to the end of the story, we know where the story gets to that Ruth becomes the great-grandmother of David, Israel's great king. And so I wonder when David was in trouble and he wrote this psalm, I wonder if he was thinking about his great-grandmother. He must have known the story that his great-grandfather Boaz had said to his great-grandmother Ruth, you're finding favor because you've come for refuge under the wings of God. And then David, in a time of difficulty, says, Lord God, let me find refuge in the shadow of your wings. I think he's thinking about what the Lord had done for his great-grandmother. And then we fast forward beyond that, which is where the story goes, of course, in the end, to Jesus, who in his human line of descent is descended from David, descended from Ruth. And Jesus in Matthew 23 says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Jesus comes, the Savior, the Messiah, the greater David, the fulfillment of all the promises, the one about whom it is all about. And he comes to his own people. He comes to Jerusalem, and he preaches the message of the kingdom of God, and he reveals God's plan and purpose. And rather than accepting him and coming under his shelter, the people reject him. And Jesus, in in mourning, says, how I long to gather you under my wings, just as David came under the shadow of God's wings, just as Ruth came under the shadow of God's wings, but you were not willing. And I wonder, as Jesus said that, poured out that lament, I wonder if he was thinking about his human ancestor, Ruth, whose response to the Lord had been so different. She was a foreigner. She had no place in the people of Israel, naturally speaking, but she bound herself to Naomi and bound herself to Yahweh, the living God, and she came under the shelter of his wings and found favor. And now those who did belong to God's people are rejecting the refuge of God. And that, of course, raises a question for us. Where are you today? Are you coming under the shelter? Are you coming under the refuge of God's wings? Or are you running your own way with all the danger and vulnerability of that? let today, let's, let's come under the kindness and the mercy of God. Let's come into the refuge of his wings. That story that Becky told earlier in the service about randomly out of the blue, somebody she didn't know, ringing her and saying that God wanted to tell her that he cared about her. That's a message for all of us, actually. The Lord wants us to know his mercy and his kindness. Come under his wings. Now, Ruth stays working in Boaz's fields, and it says that she stayed working there with the other women through the barley and wheat harvests. Now, again, we, this is something we might, we might miss, but we need to see. The barley harvest, and we looked at this in the first service, the ch- way chapter 1 ends is that Naomi and Ruth came back to Bethlehem at the time of the barley harvest. That's a sign of hope, because the barley harvest happened at the time of Passover. The Passover was a great feast. When the people of Israel celebrated, remembered the Passover, when God had delivered his people and rescued them from slavery in Egypt. It's a moment of celebrating exodus of rescue. And the wheat harvest was at the same time as the Feast of Pentecost. Now, of course, we look back and we see the fulfillment of what God has done through Jesus Christ. And we think about Passover being the moment actually of Easter at the same time. Jesus died at Passover. The one who would bring us out of slavery and death into life. The great exodus. And then... A few weeks later, the day of Pentecost, wheat harvest time, when the Holy Spirit was poured out on those disciples of Jesus in the upper room, and they went out into Jerusalem and proclaimed the kingdom of God and the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And so when we read here that Ruth worked through both the barley and the wheat harvests, we're meant to see this is about Passover and it's about Pentecost it's about exodus and it's about salvation. It's about rescue and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. That is mercy from God. Come under the shelter of his wings and receive rescue. Receive the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Receive salvation. Let's read the next chapter, Grace.
1: Meanwhile. Boaz went up to the town gate. Oh, that's from wrong chapter, sorry. Let's start again. Uh, one day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, "'My daughter, I must find a home for you "'where you will be well provided for.' Now, Boaz, with, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight, he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes.' Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you were there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying, then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. I am your servant Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a guardian redeemer to our family. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good. Let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized. And he said, No one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. He also said, bring me the shawl you are wearing and hold it out. When she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her. Then he went back to town. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, how did it go, my daughter? Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, he gave me these six measures of barley saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today.
0: Now, really, the story could end at the the end of chapter two, that uh, Naomi and Ruth are now being provided for. They're getting enough food to eat. But Naomi is after more than just getting by. She wants Ruth to find rest. And we need to note that phrase that she uses. I must find a home or I must find rest for you. Back in chapter one, when um, Naomi's sons have died, Ruth's husbands died, Naomi says to Ruth, may the Lord grant that you will find rest in the home of another husband. And here she says again, I must find rest for you. Now, that's probably not the first word we would think of when anticipating marriage. I don't think in a, I've taken lots of weddings. I don't think I've ever said in a wedding service, "These these two are entering rest." I mean, we tend to say that at funerals. We lay people to rest. This is not what we say at weddings. But that's what Naomi says to Ruth. I need to find you rest and. This actually reflects a bigger picture of what marriage is about. Because the point here, think ourselves into the culture again, Ruth is a vulnerable woman. She's a widow, she's a foreigner, she's scrabbling for survival. And what marriage is meant to mean, marriage is meant to mean security. Now, of course, there's still going to be work to do once she gets married, if she gets married, but there's going to be rest for her in a sense of emotionally that she'll be able to be at much more peace because she's in a place of security. Socially, she's going to be at rest. There's not going to be the, the, the danger and, and the alienation that she experiences as a widow. Actually, she's entering what marriage will mean for her is an experience of peace, rest, shalom, that sense of God's blessing, mercy, favor. Now, when we enter into a relationship with Jesus, it's entering a marriage. That's how the Bible describes our relationship with God. He Jesus is is the groom. His church is the bride. We enter into marriage with him. And what we hope for is rest. What the Lord promises us is peace, is shalom. That's where the whole thing is is headed. God is building a house for his name. His people will dwell with him in perfect peace. And what Naomi wants for Ruth is for Ruth to have a taste of that rest, that peace, that shalom now. And Naomi has a strategic plan that she's going to get Boaz as Ruth's husband. And this is a sign that Naomi is getting some hope. When she first comes back to Bethlehem, she's hopeless. Her name means pleasant, and she says to the women in the town, "Don't call me Naomi pleasant, call me Mara which means bitter." Her life seems in tatters and in ruins, but she's getting some hope, which means she gets some strategy. And there's a lesson here for us again because hope fills churches will be in a sense strategic be active. Churches which don't have any hope simply become about maintenance. And Naomi isn't interested just in maintenance. She's not interested in just getting by. She wants something better. She's got hope, and so she gets strategic. Now, for us here at Gateway, we need to be a church which is full of hope, which means that we get strategic. This year, we're talking about new adventures of faith. We need to intentionally, deliberately seek the Lord and push into the things that he calls us to. Why do we do that? Because we're not just about maintenance. We're about hope and taking some more grounds. Now, Naomi's plan is risky. And again, we mustn't, don't judge the culture. Think ourselves into the culture. Imagine yourself in this culture. Naomi's plan is risky for at least two reasons. The first reason is that Boaz could have woken up, found this woman sleeping at his feet, just been really embarrassed, shocked, because in that culture, a woman isn't meant to come to the threshing floor. He could have just kicked her out, humiliated her, and refused to have anything to do with her again. The second risk, big one, is that Boaz could just have had sex with Ruth there, and then she was entirely in his hands. She had made herself intentionally vulnerable, and there was no one to protect her. If Bares had decided just to have have sex with her then, there's nothing anybody would have done to stop it. So she had put herself in a risky situation. And so we see with Ruth and Naomi that they are actually both being very forward in what they're doing. We see that they are not passive women. They are determined. Talked about this last week from the book of Judges. These illustrations of women in the scriptures who are not passive, not simply pawns, but very determined, very strategic, very active. And that's what Ruth and Naomi are like. They know there's some risks, but they have a plan which they want to see enacted. And so Boaz wakes up and he says, what's going on? And Ruth says to him, spread your garments over me. And really what she's saying by that is, marry me. She's being very direct, very forward. The other place where this phrase is used in the, in the Bible is in Ezekiel 16, where there's an allegory, a parable about God's marriage to his people. And the Lord speaks to the prophet Ezekiel and says, I passed by, and when I looked at you and saw that you were old enough for love, I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your naked body. I gave you my solemn oath and entered into a covenant With you, declares the sovereign Lord, and you became mine. Being covered with someone's garment is to come under their protection. Actually, that word garment, it's the same word as the word wing that Boaz has already used in his conversation with Ruth. You've come under the refuge. You've come under the wing of God. You've come under the garment of God. And so when Ruth says to Boaz, cover me with the corner of your garment, she's saying, marry me. Cover me, protect me, rescue me. Boaz has already re- recognized how God has brought Ruth into a place of refuge, and now Ruth is saying to Boaz, well, I want you as well. Now, of course, there's some practical advice here for those who want to find a marriage partner, and this is how I've often heard this passage taught, the things that Ruth does following Naomi's advice. She looks good, smells good, and she waits until he's in a good mood. He had lots of... <laughs> Lots to eat and drink. Choose a a moment carefully. And that's kind of good advice. If you want to find a partner, look your best, have a wash, wait for a time when they're in a good mood. That's just, that's some dating advice for free for those who need it. But if we reduce this story just to dating advice, we're really missing the point. There's, there's so much more to this story than just Ruth looking for romance. There's so much more than that. What this is about, this is about rescue. It's about security. It's about having a legacy. It's about finding rest. And Boaz is willing to provide it. He's only too glad to provide Ruth with some rest. And in this, there's an illustration of God's heart towards us. God is the God... Full of mercy, who loves to bring people into rest. In Luke 15, Jesus says, There is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The Lord, the Lord has joy when people respond to him, when people come to his rescue, when people say to the Lord, Cover me with the corner of your garments, let me come under the shelter of your wings. God is the one who rescued Ruth. He's the one who rescued David. He's the one who looked at Jerusalem and lamented that they wouldn't come under the shelter of his wings. Jesus longs to gather us under his wings. And so what we need to take away from this story is that sense of of what God wants for us. And we need to be like Naomi and Ruth, determined to come under the shelter of... Of the Lord's wings, to find rest, to know his mercy, his peace. And so my appeal to you today is come again under the shelter of God's wings. If you already know the Lord, well, come again, look to him, remind yourself of who he is and what he's done for you, remind yourself what it means to be a Christian, to be in relationship with him, part of God's people, part of the bride of Christ, safe, secure, held. If you don't know Jesus, today could be the day when you come under the refuge of his wings, where you find some rest. There ain't much rest in this world, but there is rest now and forever under the shadow of the wings of God. Would you stand with me and let's pray. King Jesus, I do thank you for this beautiful story. Of these uh, two women and this man and how by putting you at the center of things, disaster was turned into a blessing. I pray for us, Lord. I pray that we would come again under the shelter of your wings. I pray for any here this morning who don't yet know you, that even today they might find refuge, might find rest in you. And I pray for each of us, Lord. I pray if we're feeling maybe restless at this time, troubled in our lives. I pray that just as Becky expressed it at the start of our time together... We would know the reality of you ministering to us. We would know what it is to come and sit under you, under your protection, in that safety and security, knowing your covering and care for us. Well, thank you that you heard Ruth. Thank you that you heard David. And you hear us. And so we come to you again, receiving your mercy and knowing your joy. Yes, thank, you. thank you, Jesus. Amen.